Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. There is a constant debate in our country and in the world over the availability of natural resources. Natural resources are materials we get from the earth which we use or modify in order to produce things that are beneficial to us in some way. Water is an example of a natural resource. Only about 2.5% of the total volume of the world's water is fresh water. About 70% of fresh water is in the form of ice and permanent snow cover. So that leaves a very small amount of the world's fresh water available to us. And then there are places in the world where, or there are places in the world where uncontaminated, Clean flesh, uh, fresh water is scarce. It's a limited resource. Oil and coal are also examples of natural resources which we use for electricity and fuel. These are all important natural resources. They're called natural because they come from the earth and are not produced by us. The definition of a resource is this. A source of supply, support, or aid, especially one that can be readily drawn upon when needed. Now, whether or not certain natural resources are in danger of being depleted is not a debate we're considering this evening. Instead, I want us to consider a resource that we have as Christians. This resource does not originate from the earth, but from heaven. This is not a natural resource. This is a divine resource. Where is this divine resource found? Well, this is a supply that we need that comes from the throne of God. That is a resource for believers that comes from God himself. But is this supply readily drawn upon? And is it accessible to us? Well, the answer is a resounding yes. We may draw near to God at any time for this necessary spiritual resource. And that's what it tells us in verse 16. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. And what divine resource do we find there? So that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Mercy and grace. Mercy and grace are necessary divine resources that we need. Is it ever in short supply? 
Well, you know, you know the answer. There is no real debate about that. It's not in short supply. This is a resource, a divine resource <clears throat> of grace and mercy that is readily available and it will never run out for the believer. So Christian, are you in need of help? Are you in need? Well, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you don't find help in time of need, it's not because the supply of divine mercy and grace is not available. It's not because this divine resource is scarce. It's because we have not availed ourselves to it. God's mercy and grace to those who have placed their faith in Jesus to save them is more than abundant in every time of need. Do you draw upon that divine resource? <clears throat> the writer to the Hebrews is exhorting them to do so. Now, last time, we saw that there are two exhortations in verses 14 to 16. One is found in verse 14, let us hold fast. And now tonight in verse 16, let us draw near. And I said last time that the rest of the verses, the words in those verses tell us why, how, on what basis, and through whom we can hold fast and draw near. And in the process of telling us why, how, on what basis, and through whom we can hold fast and draw near, the glory of Jesus Christ is on display. And so you remember last time in verses 14 and 15, we considered the first exhortation, which is hold fast your confession. Hold fast. The Greek word means to seize, to hold firmly to, and to firmly continue in something. And it reminds us that the Christian life is not easy. Therefore, we need to cling tightly. We need to hold fast. We know we're not strong enough to do so on our own. So we need aid in this. We hold to the Lord Jesus Christ whom we confess. And so it's a reminder that we need help in the Christian life. We're to hold fast, but we're weak. But there's one who is strong. And so in verse 14 he says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, because that is true, let us hold fast our confession. And so we saw last time something of the person that we confess. The character of Jesus, our high priest. He's merciful. He's faithful in things pertaining to God. We saw the place of our high priest. He has passed through the heavens. That's not a reference here to his uh, condescending to us in the incarnation. Here it's a reference to his ascension. He passed through the heavens and is now seated at the right hand of God. It's a reference to the efficacy of his divine sacrifice. He is now seated at the Father's right hand. He has been received into the Father's presence. Having done the will of the Father, having accomplished redemption, he is now passed back through the heavens, ascended into heaven, and is at the right hand of the Father. We saw his pathos. A word that refers to his sympathy. He knows our frame. He knows what it's like to walk on this earth. He understands what it's like to live in a fallen world. He knows the common trials and tests of living in a fallen world. 
He knows the, the temptations of the adversary to a degree that you and I do not know. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. But we saw his perfection, yet without sin. Never a hint of pride, no sinful lusts, no sinful thoughts, no sinful words. Spotless. And not only did he not sin, but he always did what was righteous. This sympathetic high priest was without sin. Therefore, what a great high priest. Supremely excellent and sufficient for the believer. But now we come to verse 16. Because all of this is true, we have a divine resource upon which we draw. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We'll consider this verse under three headings. The resources, the responsibility, and the reason. The resources are mercy and grace, which are always available to us. The responsibility that we have is to draw near to the throne of grace. And the reason we draw near is to find grace and help in time of need. Consider first the resources. Again, a resource is a source of supply, a source of aid, especially one that can be readily drawn upon when needed. Have you ever been without some resource that you needed? You couldn't find it, it wasn't readily available to you. But Christians have resources that never run out, no matter where you are. It's never lost. It's never inaccessible to us. And the resources that we need are mercy and grace. And these are great resources in time of need. We have a place to go to for help. This place is where there is sufficient Abundant, perfect grace to help in time of need. An ever-abundant resource. Consider that these are divine resources. We know that because of the place where these resources are found. Here it says it's found at a throne. It's not an earthly resource, it's a heavenly resource. And here it's called the throne of grace. Now, when we think of a throne, we think of a king and a ruler. The word throne is a figure of speech called metonymy, which represents and symbolizes rule and dominion and power and authority and sovereignty. Psalm 47, verse 8, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. In Revelation 4, verse 11, it speaks of those who are before the throne who say, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. God is ruling and reigning. He is king of all. And so this place that we go for this resource is a throne, and it's a king's throne. Not just any king, it is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The one who is the creator of all things. And this king says, my throne is a place for you, believer, to come. 
we have a hearing before the very presence of God. And we are invited, indeed commanded, to come before His throne. So when we read the word throne in verse 16, we should think of God's authority and power and rule and reign and sovereignty. But another thought should come to mind. Namely, in the context here of what the writer to the Hebrews is saying, we should think of a mercy seat. A mercy seat. In the Old Covenant, known a mercy seat that was in the Holy of Holies in the temple. You remember that this letter was written to Jewish Christians, and therefore it's the letter to the Hebrews. And it's written to show the superiority of the New Covenant to the Old Covenant. And so we need to remember this place called the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place. This is a place in the temple where only one man, the high priest, could go one time of year, and that time was known as the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. The Holy of Holies is described in Leviticus 16. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. And when they, when they had approached the presence of the Lord and died, the Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil, that's the most holy place, before the mercy seat which is on the ark, or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. The holy place inside the veil was called the most holy place, or the holy of holies. And this is where the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized the presence of God, was kept. And there was a veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place, the holy of holies. It's called a partition. This place, the holy of holies, was a symbol of the very presence of God where no man except one could go, the high priest, one time a year. And in that place, the Holy One met with an unholy one. But not without sacrifice, not without atonement, not without the shedding of blood. This symbolic throne, the mercy seat, is now a place where we are commanded to approach and draw near, to draw upon these divine resources. How? Well, Jesus Christ has opened the way for us by His own blood. To use the picture of the mercy seat, there would be blood sprinkled there. In the Old Covenant, it would be a reminder that blood must be shed for atonement for sin. In the New Covenant, we understand that Jesus has shed His blood once. Once and for all time to redeem us and to bring us to God. Apart from Jesus, there's fear and judgment associated with the throne of God and the mercy seat. Because of Jesus, we come and draw near without fear of judgment. Therefore, it's a throne of grace. It is a place where undeserving sinners who have placed their faith in the high priest who has entered once and has shed his blood once for our sins 
It's where we find grace, that divine resource in time of need. So it is here that we find the resources that we need. The resources are mercy and grace. The place where these resources are found are God's throne. And because of the saving work of Jesus Christ, it is a throne of grace and not of judgment. But secondly, consider the responsibility. The resources are readily available, but we have a responsibility to do what? To draw near. We receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need by drawing near. Therefore, let us draw near. To draw near means to to come to a place or to come to a person, to approach that person. The translation to draw near is meant to demonstrate the good connotation of the context. It's not just the idea of we just go to a place, but we draw near to this place. You can come before, you can approach, you can appear before a judge, but we wouldn't say you draw near to a judge. We say, well, when a judge wants to speak with you, he says, you should approach. But the judge never says, draw near to me. (laughs) But it's translated that way to, to show us that what is... Implied here is the warmth and the relationship of peace with the one before whom you come and draw near. Now there is a sense in which we are already near to God. We have been brought near to Him in reconciliation by the blood of Christ. Our justification brings us near. We, we are reconciled to God. And God is near to us. And that's the language of no longer we had enmity with God, but now He has drawn near to us and we can draw near to Him because of what Christ has done for us. But here, the exhortation is for us to draw near for, into the presence, before the presence of God to draw upon a resource that we constantly need in the Christian life. And so this is the responsibility we have as those who've come, been brought near to God, reconciled through the blood of Christ, we're now to draw near to God. Again, in the Old Covenant, <clears throat> only one man could go there. And he could only do so one day a year. In the New Covenant, we don't go to a literal temple which symbolized the presence of God. The church is the place where God now dwells by His Spirit. And all believers have continual access to God's throne, into God's presence. Therefore, we are to draw near. It's in the present tense. Here it implies something that we continually do. And it gives us that wonderful truth. We have access to God. Access is a wonderful word. We have access to God. We may draw near to Him. Who can do this? Well, he says, let us. That is, all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. All Christians are to draw near, not just some. And again, this is in contrast to the Old Covenant, when only the high priest could enter. But Jesus, the high priest, has entered for us, has shed His blood on that mercy seat, 
so that all those who are in him may enter into the presence of God. And how frequently may we do this? Well, again, in the Old Covenant, the contrast is a high priest can only enter once a year, but here we're commanded to do so at any time. In fact, at all times. In the Old Covenant, in the temple, there was a curtain that separated the most holy place from the rest of the temple. And it was an imposing reminder that not just anyone could go into the presence of God, but now the temple has been... the the veil, excuse me, has been torn in two. It's an open door for believers. For Jesus has gone before us and opened the way. Notice the manner of our drawing near. We're to draw near, it says, with confidence. This word means and is sometimes translated with boldness. Now what does that mean? Draw near with confidence and with boldness. Before God. Well, sometimes it's good to remind ourselves what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean carelessly or irreverently, presumptuously, brashly. It doesn't mean we don't we come into the it doesn't mean we come to the presence of God demanding and certainly not in pride. We don't draw near with confidence, meaning with self-confidence but with confidence in the one who has made that an open door, so to speak, for us. So the grounds of our confidence is not in ourselves, but in the person and work of Jesus. And therefore, we don't come with any hint of pride, but humbly through faith in Jesus. We come confidently through Christ. But the idea of coming confidently, drawing near with confidence and boldness, means that we may enter freely. And we enter before God, again, who is not our judge, but the one who has reconciled us to himself through the blood of his Son. We come and we pour our hearts out before him. Arthur W. Pink wrote this, come as you are, say what you feel, ask what you need, confess your sins, your fears, your wandering thoughts and affections. And he doesn't mean so again irreverently, just say what you feel in an irreverent way. No, he means you come, you've been called to come, commanded to come, and you come openly, freely. You cry out to him, here's my need. He knows it anyway. It's not unholy if we do so in reverence to come and and just pour out our hearts before our God. Jesus cried out, let this cup pass for me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. So we come confidently through Christ. And this responsibility that we have to do so is a privilege. What a privilege it is. But again, I want to emphasize that it is a responsibility. You must draw near. Sometimes we say to people, I have an open door. And we mean by that, my door is open. If you need to talk to me, I'm here. But you have to come. God has an open door, but we must draw near in time of need. 
And if you don't draw upon this divine resource, it's not as though it's not available to you. It's not scarce. It's not a secret. It's not unavailable. We have a responsibility then to draw upon this divine resource. Do you draw upon this means of God's grace for your good and for your help in time of need? We must access the access. God is near to us. He attends His children. He hears our prayers. The issue is never with God. The issue is always with us. We have a responsibility to draw near to the throne of grace. James 4 verse 8, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. So don't ever blame God for your weakness. Don't ever blame God for your time of need. Don't ever blame God for your lack of love or obedience, your temptation, your sin. Sometimes we act as if our resources have been expended, as if they're used up and we're out. But nothing can be further from the truth. God has given us everything we need. He has supplied, it, supplied all the resources we need. There's no deficiency in God. The door is open. So draw near. Make use of all the divine resources available to you. Don't neglect any means of grace God has given for you as a believer. I just want to hopefully stir you up to be reminded that when there is a time of need, we are responsible to draw upon this divine resource. And if we don't, we will fall in that time of need. We will sin. But if we do draw upon the divine resources available to us at the throne of grace, we will find mercy. We will find grace to help in time of need. So if you sin, if I sin, it's because we have not drawn upon the divine resource. We have a responsibility to do so. I think of the hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer. And it says, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And the hymn writer there is saying, it's not as though there's not an open door. It's not as though we can't come before him in the throne of grace in prayer and crying out for help. And so when we don't avail ourselves to that divine resource and we forfeit peace, we bear needless pain, all because we don't draw near. Prayer is just one of those divine resources. God's given us so many. The Word of God, the teaching and preaching of the Word publicly, the fellowship of the body, public worship, the Lord's Day. God's given us so much to draw upon. And so we see the resources. They're divine. Mercy and grace Readily available, never in scarcity. But we see the responsibility that we have to draw near. But thirdly, consider the reason. The reason. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. And here's the reason. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So that is a purpose clause. It expresses purpose and sometimes reason 
so that we may receive the necessary divine resources of mercy and grace for what? For what reason? For what occasion? Here he's speaking of a time of need. Now we're always needy, and therefore we're to pray without ceasing. But this refers to drawing near in a specific instance of need. Here in the context, these were weak and weary Christians who needed strength and grace to persevere. So in time of need, we don't draw back, we draw near. This is very important in the Christian life. When tempted to sin, draw near in order to draw upon the resources of grace and mercy from the throne of God. When the adversary attacks, when you're especially weak, in every time of need, don't retreat from the throne of grace, but run to it. How often when we're tempted to sin, sometimes because of the temptation of sin, even in our pride, I'm tempted to sin. How can I go to the throne of grace? And and now practically we've denied the sufficiency of Christ and his sacrifice. What do you mean how can we not draw near to God? Because his blood did once atone. And now it pleads before the throne. Why would we retreat in that time of temptation? Well, sometimes it's because we want to sin. We don't want to draw upon God's resources of mercy and grace in time of need. We've determined we're going to sin, so we retreat from the throne of grace. Why would we retreat? We should run to it. So let me just exhort you and encourage you when you're tempted. This week, just make it conscious in your mind that when you're tempted, don't retreat from God but humbly draw near to the throne of grace. That's a time of need. So run to it. Flee from sin and run to the throne of grace. And when you do, what do you find? Mercy and grace in time of need. Notice these two words, receive and find. We draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive something and find something. We receive mercy. We find grace there. And for what purpose? To help. To help. It's a word that's translated in Hebrews 2 verse 18. To come to the aid of. He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. He is able to help you. His help, His aid is what you need. The writer to the Hebrews is reminding his original readers and we're reminded. He doesn't delay in giving it to you. He's not tight-fisted and said, okay, do a few things for me and I'll give you this grace and this mercy to help in your time of need. No, he's he's open-handed, so to speak. It's there. It's already been accomplished. Your aid, your help. Don't we know this? He's able to come to your aid and help you. We've sung a hymn before, and it repeats these words. 
And it's a call to salvation. And it says, He is able. He is able. He is able. It repeats it three times. Doubt no more. And it's a call to salvation. And in evangelism, this is what we say to unbelievers who are broken over their sin, who are convicted of their sin. And you say, there's a, there's a way of forgiveness. There's one who forgives sin, and his name is Jesus. And he is able to save you. He is able to save you. He is able. Doubt no more. Believe. And we proclaim that, and our hearts rejoice, don't they? When we hear those words, he is able. He is able. He is able to save sinners. What a joyous thing. But then in the Christian life, practically speaking, we begin to live as if this were true. He is able to justify us, but he's not able to help me in time of need. He is not able. He is not able. He is not able. The writer to the Hebrews is saying, that is a twisted view of the grace of God in Christ. Just as he is able and has the power to save sinners, from what their sins deserve, now having believed upon Him, there's a continual resource upon which we're to draw to find grace to help in time of need. He's now able to rescue you from the evil one. He is able to rescue you from temptation. He has the power to do it. Some of you are familiar with a little book called Finally Free. And it's a book written by a man, Heath Lambert, concerning being free from sexual immorality through pornography. And, and he begins that book by speaking of the fact that grace is, means forgiveness, but grace also means power. God not only gives you grace to forgive your sin, He gives you grace to give you the ability now as a Christian to to flee your sin. That's what the writer to the Hebrews is saying here. God's grace wasn't just to justify you, but now in the Christian life, the way is open to now come in that time of need. And when you do and you say you come humbly and you cry out to God, help me, help me, help me. What we receive is grace, and what we find is mercy to help in time of need. And God, who is able to save, knows exactly how to help His children in that time of need. He not only has the power, but the wisdom. He's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Believer, He's able He's willing. Doubt no more. How many times have we doubted the grace of God to help us in time of need because we have not come to the throne of grace? I've said it before in various contexts. Let me say it again. Reformed Baptist Christians. Can God make the spiritually dead sinner alive in Christ? He can. Amen? Do you believe that? On the last day, is He able to resurrect that body that's decayed 
and resurrected and make it in likeness to the resurrected body of Christ, is he able? Yes, he's able to do that. That's grace and that's power. And we proclaim the power of God, the grace of God in that work of making a spiritually dead sinner alive in Christ. What a mighty work. And one day, that resurrection power to raise us immortal. But sometimes in between, we just somehow think there's, that power is now inoperable and unavailable. God, help our unbelief and our inconsistencies. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying, he's able and he's willing, doubt no more, draw near. This grace and power is operable in you now, believer, to sanctify you, to make you holy, and to aid you in putting sin to death. And fleeing temptation. Jesus said, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who, he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? It's not withholding any good thing. What a good and gracious God we have. What a great salvation. And what a help in time of need. What a refuge for weak and weary sinners. And all of this is through Christ. Are you availing yourself to the divine resources of mercy and grace, which are abundant and readily available to believers? So as we come to the table of the Lord this evening to remember Christ's death on our behalf, let's remember His grace and power in regeneration and in the forgiveness of our sins Let's remember that He will return in the grace and power of that final day, but let us remember the grace and mercy that we have now to help in time of need. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, thank You for the divine resources that we have through our great High Priest, Thank you that your throne is not a place of judgment for those of us who have believed on Christ. It is a throne of grace. And there is no partition that keeps us from entering. For Christ has shed his blood and you in a miraculous way, again we're reminded, When Jesus died, and when he breathed his last, the veil in the temple was torn in two. And we have entered into the most holy place. We have been reconciled to you by the blood of Christ. 
And now we have access. Father, thank You for Your mercy and Your grace. Lord, forgive us, for we do not avail ourselves to those resources that we need in time of need. We often don't because we really want to sin rather than be delivered from our sin. Father, forgive us for our hard hearts at times. Forgive us for our our idolatry, for our love of sin. And forgive us, Lord, for sometimes treating in an unholy way the blood of Christ that was shed for us. So I pray that as we consider Jesus tonight through the table, may we see the great high priest we have, May we see His beauty, His grace, His mercy, and may it stir us up, Lord, to always draw near. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.